Now from the opening verse of the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew wants to demonstrate that Jesus fulfills all the promises that God made to Abraham and to David. And so verse 1 reads, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew could have left it right there. That tells us in one sense all that we need to know. Matthew draws a straight line from Jesus Christ back to David and David back to Abraham. And these opening words, you may remember if you've read through Genesis anytime recently, they're very similar to Genesis 5, verse 1 in the Septuagint, which says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And what follows after that verse is the first genealogy in the Bible. And after that, there are many, many genealogies, right? It makes for quick reading when you're trying to get through the Bible. You hit the genealogies and you speed on through because the words, the names are just too difficult to pronounce. Now, we just read the genealogy in the book of Ruth. And as you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, the the purpose of the book of Ruth is revealed in the genealogy. The author of the book of Ruth tells us at the end why he wrote the book itself. The author wanted to show how God used Naomi's and Ruth's sufferings for his greater purpose of bringing David into the world. David... In, in, a, in a very uh, a local sense, was the purpose of that book. Now, not to disparage Naomi or Ruth or Boaz, but if David had not been their offspring, we never would have heard of them. As remarkable a story as the book of Ruth is, it probably would not have been written if it weren't for David coming along as their offspring. And Matthew has a similar purpose in presenting the genealogy of Jesus. The primary purpose, really the sole purpose for Abraham's and David's existence was to bring Jesus the Messiah into the world. If they existed for no other reason, and we can assert that that was the reason they existed, Abraham and David, then their life was a full life. And it served a great purpose. Jesus is the focal point of history. Everything in history was building up to his coming to earth. Rather than Jesus depending on his ancestors, one commentator puts it this way, Matthew's genealogy shows that his ancestors, Jesus' ancestors, depend on him for their true meaning. Without Jesus, Abraham, David, and everyone in between them and the Lord Jesus Christ, they really aren't that significant. And so Matthew, in a way, is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Now, usually it runs the other way. Usually we look back to our ancestors and gain a sense of pride in thinking about those from whom we've descended. Now, some of you have heard this. I think I've told this story before, but, but Kit Carson is an ancestor of mine. You may not know who Kit Carson was, but he was a, he was a frontiersman, a, a pioneer type, and he He helped out greatly in and around the Civil War and after the Civil War. Native Americans don't really care for him too much. Um, There was some controversy there about some of the things that he and and those under his uh, his charge did. Uh, But he's an ancestor of of mine. And a few years back while visiting my parents, our family, Jen and the kids and I, we went to this little tiny cemetery in my hometown to visit the grave of his grandmother. Ever since I was a child, knowing that Kit Carson was in the family tree, it's given me a sense of significance. It's probably given me a sense of boldness and 
a sense of wanting to be adventuresome, and those kinds of things. Many of you are descendants of well-known historical people. Some of you may even be descendants of one of the passengers on uh, the Mayflower. But Matthew, in his genealogy of Jesus, isn't saying that Jesus is significant, that Jesus is important because he's a descendant of Abraham and David. Matthew's argument from the lesser to the greater is that as great as Abraham and David were, Jesus is greater. And because he is greater, that makes them important. Matthew is saying that Abraham and David are significant, that they are important because they are the forefathers of Jesus Christ. As you've probably known from the first time that you first read the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the point of the whole book. But did you know that Jews in ancient times, they believed that God brought all husbands and wives together by an, a divine act of providence? That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? And because they believed this, when they read the genealogies in Scripture, they would see those genealogies as a testimony to God's providence in their ancestry. Jewish people aren't bored when they read the, te- the, the, the genealogies in Scripture. Matthew's genealogy was written as a testimony to God's providence in bringing about the climax of history. His sovereign plan of salvation had come to fulfillment in the birth of Jesus the Christ. Now, unlike Luke's genealogy of Jesus, which goes all the way back to Adam, it's sufficient for Matthew to begin with Abraham. And as I mentioned earlier, verse 1, it flattens out history with a straight line from Jesus through David all the way back to Abraham. For Matthew, he wants to point out the fact that the history of Israel begins with Abraham. It's with Father Abraham that Israel is called out from the world as God's special people. God calls Abraham, at that point Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and he promises Abram there to make a great nation of him and to make him, through that nation, a blessing to all of the families of the earth. Now, God made these promises to Abraham thousands of years before Jesus was born. By the time Israel made its exodus from Egypt, it had grown to well over one million people. The families of earth were blessed through Abraham's offspring. Joseph was a great blessing to Egypt during the Great Famine. David was a blessing to many of the nations that were around Israel. People came to Solomon from, a great, from great distances because of his renowned wisdom. As Abraham's offspring, he was certainly a blessing to the people of the world. And this is speculative, and I admit that, but I think that God gave the Jewish people a gift with words, which has continued to make them a blessing to the world to this day. But ultimately, the extent of Israel's blessing to all the families of the world was limited because the nation of Israel came to an end. The nation of Israel is God's Old Testament theocratic government. That nation state, it came to an end. And so Matthew's genealogy, it reminds us of this limitation, of the fact that that Israel itself, it ceased in in, in a national sense to be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. Matthew includes the fact that Israel was deported to Babylon. If the beginning of the reign of David marked the rise of Israel to prominence, the division of the kingdom under Solomon's son Rehoboam marked the start of its decline. 
The exile of Israel to Assyria and Judah to Babylon was rock bottom. Their deportation was the result of their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And Matthew deliberately includes the reference to the Babylonian deportation in verse 11 because he wants to show that the true blessing to the nations comes through Jesus. This is why he mentions four Gentile women in Jesus' genealogy. These these kind of uh, blur things a little bit, don't they? These Gentile women. Tamar of of Canaan in verse 3. Rahab of Jericho in verse 5. Ruth the Moabitess in verse 5. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite in verse 6, though he doesn't mention her name there. These are ancestors of Jesus Christ, these women. God demonstrated the great blessing Abraham's offspring would be to the world by allowing these four Gentile women to be in the ancestry of Jesus. And it showed that he had been executing this plan all along. It didn't happen by accident. Abraham's nation, if you could even call it that at this point, it was in decline in every way when Jesus was born. It had been split apart. The two factions had fought against each other, Israel and Judah. They were bitter enemies for a time. They'd been carried off to two separate countries who were far more powerful than they And at the time of Jesus' birth, they had been back in Israel for over 500 years. At least uh, many of of the Jewish people had been. They had spent all of that time occupied by one nation after another. Abraham's children had been greatly reduced, if not in number, then in stature and in importance. They were no longer the blessing that they once had been. But then comes Jesus. In the fullness of time, as God's word puts it, Jesus came so that the promises of God to Abraham would truly be fulfilled. He was Abraham's true son. And he showed it by his complete faithfulness to all that God commanded. He was the true blessing to the world. As God promised Abraham his offspring would be. Because he brought salvation not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Jesus was obedient to his father in every way. Not simply so that his Jewish brothers and sisters by ethnicity could be saved. But so that those who were outside of Israel, outside of uh, the Jewish people could be saved. Now, if Matthew's genealogy of Jesus shows that he's a true son of Abraham, it also shows that he's a true son, the true son of David. Just as he was the fulfillment of all of the promises to Abraham, so he was the fulfillment of all of the promises to David. And we read this uh, at the beginning of the service this morning, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 13, God tells David that he will establish David's kingdom from his offspring and that his throne will be established forever. Now keep in mind that uh, keep in, that in mind and look at the list of names that follow David's in Matthew's genealogy. Think about the fact that he refers to Bathsheba as the wife of Uriah in verse 6 and in doing so Matthew reminds his readers that even King David, the goat of Israel's kings, you know what that means, right? The greatest of all time of Israel's kings, he was an adulterer. He was a failure. More than a failure. He deliberately sinned in a terrible, terrible way against Bathsheba, against Uriah, having him murdered. And Matthew points that out by making reference to the wife of Uriah there. 
And then we get to Solomon. Solomon, though he had wisdom that was greater than anyone else's in his day, Solomon turned away from the Lord. And as you read these names in that genealogy following David's name, you're hard-pressed as you consider the names of the kings in this genealogy to find any who are truly faithful. The kings are graded in the Bible by how well they carried out the task of tearing down the altars to idols. Those altars were either remnants of Canaanite worship or these were altars that had been built in Israel since Israel had entered the promised land. One of the chief duties of the king was to tear these things down, to get rid of them, to, to establish true worship in Israel. Many of the tree kings tried. None of them eradicated all of the altars. Some, like Manasseh, mentioned in verse 10, rebuilt the altars to idols that had been torn down by his father Hezekiah. Only two of the kings who were mentioned, Hezekiah in verse 10 and Josiah in verse 11, were as faithful to the Lord as David had been. Though David, in many ways, did not set the bar too high, did he? But their reigns were marred because God's people, Abraham's children, did not keep God's commandments. The unbelief of God's people, their pursuit after other gods, resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the deportation of Israel and Judah to foreign lands. It resulted in them no longer being a true nation. Israel became the province of a series of occupying nations, the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. Living under foreign occupation, it made the Jewish people want to have a Jewish king to rule over them, not a puppet king like Herod, but someone who would free them from their bondage and return them to the status of a truly independent nation. They were waiting For a new king like David. The time was full. And so Matthew writes his gospel to tell the people that their king has come. The one that they were looking for. The one that they were waiting for. He has come. The one that they crucified was the true son of David. He was the long expected Messiah. He was the one who would sit on the throne of David forever. He was the promised offspring of father Abraham. But instead of it being Abraham's house, it was Jesus' house that was established forever and that would be a blessing to the whole world. He was the promised offspring of King David. But instead of it being David's throne, it was Jesus' throne that was established forever. He alone, out of all of the sons of Abraham, out of all of the sons of David, he alone walked by faith. He truly was and is a man after his father's own heart. And Matthew is saying in this genealogy that the entire history of God's people took place for the purpose of Jesus Christ being born to the Virgin Mary. Now that is not necessarily something you want to tell your Jewish neighbors. That's something that they would probably find offensive and not offensive in a, in a good way. But it's the truth. The reason... The purpose for the existence of Israel was so that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, so that he would be born to save sinners. But it's not just the history of God's people that was working toward Christ's birth. All of history was working toward Christ's birth. Every nation will be blessed by his kingdom. And all of this is possible because Jesus is the Son of God. That is why Matthew is so careful in what he says, or or rather what he doesn't say, in verse 16. 
Take a, take a look again at the genealogy in chapter 1. Throughout his genealogy, Matthew has followed a pattern. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah, and so on. But in verse 16, he makes a noteworthy break. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Now Matthew's going to make it very clear in verses 18 and 23 in the next passage that Mary was a virgin. But here in verse 16, he indicates... Matthew shows that Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph. Joseph was his adoptive father. Joseph was just a man. Joseph, like Mary, was a descendant of David. But he was just a man. The father of Jesus is God himself. And Matthew and the other Gospels make it clear that Jesus Christ is the eternally begotten son of God. He didn't just come into existence at his earthly conception. And for this reason, we can say that creeds like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, that these creeds are true and they are biblical. They are teaching what the Bible teaches. They're spelling it out for us. This is important. Because by this, we know that Jesus was completely different than everyone else in his genealogy. His forebears all failed in one way or another. Some had small failures. Many had major failures. None of them turned out to be the one who would fulfill the promises that God had made first to Abraham and then to David. He is the true offspring of David who came into the world to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. He's the true son of David. He is the long-awaited king of whom all the other kings and rulers of the world are mere types and shadows. He is the one for whom The Jewish people are still longing, are still waiting. He's the one for whom we are longing and we are waiting. Everyone who feels an emptiness in their souls, everyone who is looking for purpose in their lives, everyone who is feeling need, Jesus Christ is the one for whom you look. Jesus Christ came into the world to save his people, not from the Roman occupiers. He came to save his people from their sins. He came to save you and me from the punishment that we deserve because we have sinned against a holy, perfectly righteous God. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we are thankful to You that You so loved the world that You sent Your only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. We are thankful that Jesus Christ has come and that He has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to know this and to believe this and to give up on all of our strivings to save ourselves. Jesus Christ has done the work that we could not do. He has fulfilled the covenant of works that we could not fulfill for ourselves. 
pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to rest in this good news. And we pray this in the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Amen.